scriptures and turn back to the Gospel of Mark and the passage we read a little earlier. We're starting a brief series on miracles in Mark, and we're going to look at one in particular today. I don't know about you, but I've always thought that if I could go back in time, I would have loved to see Jesus perform a miracle. Um, I, I think feeding of the 5,000 would have been spectacular, uh, just to see one little lunch, so as it were, all those things that Jesus multiplied, probably more like 10,000 people if you include women and children. Of course, I don't know, it would have been just as equally as great to see Jesus walk on water. I think that would have probably blown my mind uh, to see him do that. But I'm, I'm thinking perhaps greatest of all would be standing at the tomb where he told Lazarus to come forth. Amen, right? So he, he came out of the grave and rose from the grave. I, I think that would be one of the best of all. But there's a lot of them. In fact, it's worth noting, um, Jesus said there are 18... Um, he did 18 different miracles or exorcisms included in the Gospel of Mark. But here's the thing. Most notably is that all of them, almost all of them, are in the first half of the Gospel. Now, they happen prior to Peter's confession as Jesus is Lord, prior to Passion Week. Almost all of them took place then. And the reason, I think, was is because of it speaks to function what the purposes of Jesus' miracles were. Now, if you read commentators, they're going to tell you why Jesus performed miracles, obviously, other than helping people. They authenticated his identity as the Messiah and the message he did. It was a platform for unbelievable teaching that he could follow up a message with a miracle. It was to demonstrate the nature of God's kingdom and what his kingdom was really all about. But you know what? In, in, in the long run, or I should say in short, Jesus and all of his miracles that he did demonstrated his connection to God. In our text today, and I don't know if you noticed, but in the text there are four of those miraculous things Jesus did in a row. Um, there is the man with the unclean spirit. He cast that out. Simon's mother-in-law is healed. A leper is healed. A paralytic man is healed. So all of these four, back to back, all through chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And what they demonstrate is that Jesus has power over demons and disease. In fact, the line goes like this in the verses preceding our text. And all who were sick, the whole city was at the door, Many sick, many demons. And the idea is everyone was there, and it didn't matter how many there were or what kind of sickness, disease, or what was taking place, what kind of healing they needed, Jesus could do it. Now, he has power, and that was amazing, and people were attracted to it. But right smack dab in the middle of all of these miraculous things he was doing, Mark in his gospel inserts this little paragraph that I want to key on, this morning in verses 35 through 39. And when you read it, it almost seems like it's out of place. But when you study it a little more carefully, what you understand is Mark is giving us a glimpse. He's giving us a little bit of a view into the private life of Jesus, particularly his prayer life. And he does this because in Mark's mind, here's what's important. He wants you and I this morning and all of his readers, he wants us to get that Jesus is connected to God. Jesus' interior connection to God is the source of his exterior power with people. 
Let me say that again. Jesus' interior connection to God, namely through prayer, is the source of his exterior power of people to people. So in other words, let me say it this way. His prayer connection is the key to his power connection. Jesus' interior connection to God is connected and linked to be able to heal people. He gets the power from God alone in prayer. See, the two things are connected, his interior life and his exterior life. Is that true of you? See, does your exterior ministry to people and the way that God uses you, is it a demonstration of a powerful or a powerless interior connection to God? So I was thinking this week, and I I wanted to ask you the question as a church. What kind of church would we have to be to embody the ministry of Jesus? I mean, to really touch people's lives, to see them change for eternity, to make an eternal, forever difference. What kind of church would we have to be to have the ministry of Jesus like he had in the lives of others? You know what the answer is? We would have to be a people whose interior life and exterior life were connected to God. So I wanted this morning to take this text, and I want to just unpack them, both of them, and see what it was like in Jesus' interior life and how that connected his exterior life and some of the lessons that we might learn from it as a church. So let's do one at a time. Number one, in verses 35 through 39, Jesus' interior life. And here's how it starts, verse 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. See, those are redundant statements. See, early in the morning, while it's still dark, it's an explanation, but it's a detailed explanation. Mark wants you to know that Jesus got up before everybody else did. In fact, you'd probably say somewhere around four or five in the morning. Now, that may not seem like a big deal per se, but let me tell you what his previous day was like. His previous day in the verses preceding this paragraph He had an absolutely full schedule from beginning to end. In fact, look at verse 32. It says, he was doing all these things, casting out demons, performing miracles. It said, that evening at sundown. So sundown was probably somewhere around 8.30 to 9 o'clock at night. All day long. All day long. He was teaching in their synagogues, it says, in Capernaum. A day around lots of people. The whole city at one point was standing outside of the door of the house that he was at. Capernaum was a city. It's been excavated. I got to go there in Israel. Probably be about a city, about five to six hundred people, which was a lot of people to be standing outside of someone's house. Capernaum was a place that Jesus had as his headquarters, so he wasn't a stranger there. Everybody knew him. They all wanted to get close to him. They all wanted to touch him. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, and then he heals people who were demon-possessed. He had people who had diseases, and then he was right at the house next door. And believe it or not, it's actually, that's accurate, because literally from here to that door, that's how far Peter's house or mother-in-law's house was from the synagogue. They still have the ruins there, and I was able to go to both of them. Jesus is healing and teaching and preaching all day long. We know from Matthew 8 when Jesus healed a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. He said, who touched me in a crowd? Power has gone out of me. You know what that means? Every single time he did something miraculous, he felt it. 
It moved him. See, he wasn't just God. He was the God-man. Imagine, literally, hundreds of people being healed, touched. See, he had time for the crowds. He had time for Simon Peter's mother-in-law individually. It was an all-day affair. He expended himself. He was exhausted. His day planner was maxed out. We might say he was schedule overload. That's what he had. Now, with that, read those words again in verse 35. See, Early in the morning, while it was still dark, see, he went out to a desolate place, it says, and prayed. And you know what we would say? What? You mean he didn't even sleep in? I mean, he didn't sleep in a little bit? No, I mean, he didn't just say, hey, that was a big day yesterday, that was great, I'm skipping today, right? No, he didn't say that. See, he got up early to pray. He didn't just get up and pray he got up purposely, early to pray. How early? Well, if he'd gone to bed maybe at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, he got up at 4 or 5 in the morning that early, while it was still dark. While everybody else was sleeping, Jesus got up. You know why? Because that is what his interior life was like. He got up to pray. Jesus made time alone with God a high priority in his life. See, he had an incredibly hectic schedule, more than anybody else, but he was not too busy to pray. Listen to this. No matter what, no matter how tired he was, no matter how he felt, no matter what everybody else was doing. See, I find it interesting. In Mark's gospel, there are three times Mark pictures Jesus in prayer. One of them is our text at the beginning of his ministry. Another one is in chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus prays. The third time is at the end of his ministry. So at the beginning of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, Jesus is on his knees talking to his Father. Why does Mark do that? Why does he have it at the beginning, in the middle, at the end of Jesus' ministry? Here's why. Because he wants you to see what drove everything in Jesus' life. He wants you to be able to see this is how he healed people. This is how he cast out demons. This is how the ability he had to humble himself and to bear the cross when he, and it felt like in his humanity that he didn't want to. This is how he was able to take the sin of the world upon himself. You know how he did all that? On his knees. See, that's the power Mark wants us to know it's his interior life. It's what he is when no one else is looking, no one else is around. Out in the desert place, out in the wilderness, see, on his knees talking to his father. That's what Jesus is like, and he wants us to know that that's what it was necessary for his entire ministry from the beginning to the end. Jesus said in John Chapter 8, verses 28 and 9, he says, I do nothing of my own initiative, but I do everything to please him. See, I don't do anything without him, and everything I do is for him. See, that was his life. And where did he get the ability to live like that? In prayer. He didn't do a miracle without God's help. He didn't speak a message without God's help. He did nothing independent of God. That's what Jesus was like on the inside. It's the power that gave him the ability to do everything God asked him to do on the outside. He knew this. He lived this. 
And this is why the Bible says he went out to a desolate place. It's the same word, chapter 1, verse 4, about John the baptizer. It's the word desert. It's the word wilderness. It's the same one used in this chapter 1, verse 12. It's the same one I just told you, verse 35. It also ends our section in verse 45 because the wilderness is a motif. It's a theme in Mark's gospel. It's where people go to know God. It's where Israel went for 40 years to really learn what their God was like. It's where Moses met the Lord at the burning bush. It's where he received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. It's where Elijah did some of his greatest miraculous things that he did. And on and on throughout the Old Testament. See, the wilderness was where you went when you really wanted to hear from God. When you wanted to hear from his word, you wanted to get a revelation, when you really wanted to know what God was like, you went out in the wilderness. See, Jesus recognized that, that there was no substitute, that busyness cannot cancel wilderness. See, he never let busyness take the place of wilderness in his life. Do you see when Peter finds him what he says? Lord, in other words, what are you doing Everyone's looking for you. See, here's what Jesus says. They can wait. He cannot. See, there's going to be things that press you and I. There'll be things that come under life, and the thing is that they're not bad things. Most of the time, they're good things. But see, for Jesus, prayer and being alone with God was not a rush job. See, it wasn't a matter of seconds he spent with God. It wasn't even a matter of minutes that he spent with God. He is in the desert by himself hours before people find him, alone with God. He's not doing other things while he's praying. He's not trying to accomplish this and run on the treadmill and do all this and pray. You know what he's doing? He's alone with God, and he makes sure there isn't anyone else there because here's what Jesus has that we are missing too often. We don't recognize our dependence. We don't see how much that we need him. And we can get busy, can't we? I mean, do we not have moms? Are you a mom this morning and you've got kids? I was thinking of Gachins when Lawrence was, when James was up here. Laundry, meals, grocery store, practices, ball games, helping with homework, moms and dads. That's just what you do when you get home, right? And then you got moms and dads who do all that and work jobs, long hours, get up early. I read a statistic the other day. Here's the, here's the typical high school teenager, ready? You get to school no later than 7.30. For some people earlier, you go to school all day. You may get out at 3.30. Immediately, you may take a snack, but you have to go to your practice. And your practice of your sports or whatever you're doing after school curricular things happens till 6.30. You get home, you grab a quick meal, and then you have to study like crazy till about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And then you go to bed and get up the next morning and do it. It's a full-time job. People, we have to have margin for God. He has to be at the center. See, we can be busy. None of those things I've listed, taking care of your kids, making, making meals, having a job, going to school, none of those things are bad. But if we're not careful, busyness will push out our wilderness. 
And when that happens, see, ministry goes by the side, and we don't have time for people, and we can't invest in ministry, and we have a hard time really having any impact on our neighbors and people and even our family members that we see all the time. Why? Because we're missing it on the inside. Do you understand there's a direct link between your life on your knees and your life off your knees? between your power in the wilderness and your power in the world. Is there a disconnect between your interior and exterior life? See, I hardly witness the loss. But I would also have to say it's maybe because I hardly ever pray for the lost. I have hardly ever have victory over my sin. You know what, Pastor Walker? I'm defeated by the same sin all the time. Did you ever think it's because you never talk to God and confess that sin to him on your knees and repent and talk to him about it. I hardly ever serve others in the church. Maybe it's because we never pray for others in church. See, is time with God and his word on your knees, is it a priority? For Jesus, it wasn't just a priority. It was the priority. Which describes you most? Too busy to pray or too busy not to pray? For Jesus, the more busy his day, the more he prayed. The more he had on his calendar, the more he had on his planner, the longer his to-do list was, the more it pushed him to spend time alone with God in prayer and in the word. See, Jesus' interior life of prayer was connected to his exterior life of power. And that is why 35 through 39 is followed by 40 through 45. And it's not just because it's chronologically numbered. It's because Jesus wants us to know, Mark wants us to know, see Jesus on his knees, connect that to Jesus healing a leper. He wants you and I to put that together. See, Jesus on his knees in prayer, that power allowed him to remain focused you see, when they find him praying, and it says this in verses 36 through 39, see, everyone's looking for you, and you're going to have people, everyone's looking for you. Your kids are looking for you. Your husband's looking for you. People are calling on the phone. See, you're going to have to make time, see. And Jesus says, I've decided that as great as it is to help and minister to people, I can't really powerfully change their lives if I'm not connected and stay connected. And Jesus says, listen, Everyone's looking for you. You know what he says? Okay, let's go back in the city, and now we've taken this city. It's been great. Let's do more. No, he says, okay, it's time to go. What? You know why? Prayer kept him focused. He wasn't distracted by popularity. He wasn't distracted by people wanting to hear from him. He even wasn't distracted by them eventually wanting to make him king. See, he was focused. He knew that everything else in his life, including his family, his children, we'd say today, 21st century, his job, he said all those things were good. You see, but they all revolve around something else. You know what it is? The mission. He says, I've got to go to the other cities. I've got to preach there. I've got to cast out demons. Why? This is why I came. See that? This is why I came. See, if you don't get on your knees every morning and you don't direct your thoughts to God and let him 
reorient your entire framework about why you exist today and what the main things of your life is, you will be pulled by everyone and everything else. And Jesus knew it. And you know how he stayed focused? You know how he kept powerful on the inside so he could be powerful on the outside? He prayed. See, his calendar was God's calendar. His priorities was God's priorities. His purposes were God's. And so here's what he says. Everyone's looking for you. He goes, I know, let's go. I've got more miraculous things to do. More than that, I've got a message to preach. I'm on a mission. Pastor Walker, how would I know? How would I know if my interior is connected to my exterior like that? I can tell you this, look at Jesus. Here's one thing that'll help you. If you are orientated and move toward people who have needs, then your interior and exterior are connected. See, if your wilderness is pushed out by your busyness, you're not connected. But if you make time, you have margin, you put time, you make a priority that you're going to minister to people, people who have needs, people who have deep needs. Can I say it this way? People who have gospel needs. So Jesus comes, the Bible says, and a leper comes to him. There's a lot of lepers in the Bible, and a lot of them are famous. You might know them by name. Miriam, Moses' sister, had leprosy because she spoke out against her brother. Naaman, the great Syrian general, he had leprosy and was healed in the Jordan. Gehazi was struck with, le with leprosy because of his greediness. Then you have lepers in the New Testament and the Old Testament in groups. The groups of four in the Old Testament, the group of ten that came to see Jesus to be healed. See, you've got groups, but see, this guy's unique because he's one leper. He's not with a bunch of people. They don't even ever tell you his name. See, he's anonymous. That's where most lepers were like. Old Testament protocol for leprosy, if you read it for yourself in Leviticus 13, you couldn't go and inhabit in places. In other words, if you had leprosy, it was contagious. You had to stay away from people. There was no int intimacy in your life. And so it says he lived in desert places. If you ever came close to people in a public setting, way before you got close to anybody, you had to scream unclean, unclean, until people got far away from you as possible. You had to wear clothes that were torn, purposely torn and ugly and outdated and everything. Why? Because you had to draw attention to yourself so everybody would know who you were if they ever got close. You had to have your hair messed up at all times. You couldn't look, so you couldn't blend into culture. You had to look disheveled. You had to have all that. You had to wear, literally, a mask from here down. Sound familiar? See, there were provisions in the Old Testament, there were provisions that if you ever got healed, that you could be declared clean. But you know what? Everybody knew it's never happened and it's never going to happen, so everybody ignored it. But this man didn't. You know why? Because Jesus was there. See, now let me tell you, read the next verse, verse 40. Imploring him. Kneeling in front of him. Do you get it now? The guy has been separated spiritually. He can't go to the temple. He's been separated socially. He can't go home. If he had a family, he doesn't anymore. Socially, spiritually, he is out there. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. And he comes to Jesus begging him because Jesus is his only hope. This is his last chance for life. 
In order to get it, he is willing to break all the rules, and he does, because where Jesus is, what have we discovered? There's all kinds of people, right? Lots of people. He's coming into a crowd where a bunch of people are. He's breaking the rules. He can't do that, and so he's begging Jesus, and you know why? First off, because if Jesus doesn't do something, he may end up being stoned by all the people for breaking the rules, He's risking everything. He is coming to Jesus and saying, listen, I need mercy. Do you notice that he didn't ask Jesus and say, please declare me clean? He said, make me clean. Priests can declare me clean, but only you have the power to make me clean. See, he's asking Jesus to do something impossible, something miraculous, something that would go way deeper than anyone knows. But notice how he asks, with all of that in mind, how risky it was, his life was at stake, how desperate he was, this is his last chance. Notice he says, if you are willing. He doesn't say, Jesus, you gotta do this. Jesus, you have to make me clean. He doesn't say that. You know what he's saying? Jesus, I trust you. I'd like to demand from you. I'd like to push you. I'd like to see if I can make you to do it. But I know this. All I'm worthy of and deserving of is your mercy. And even though I'd like to, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You see, the man comes to Jesus, and here's what he knows. I have to drop all my conditions for Jesus to make me clean. 21st century, I've talked to so many people who need the Lord, they're thinking about salvation, maybe some of you this morning, they're contemplating it, you know what, you know, I, I believe the message is right, I think Jesus died for me and rose, I, I get, you know what, and I, I, who wouldn't want to go to heaven, and I, I know I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness, but see, they have conditions. And I've heard them expressed like this, what's the Christian position on this issue? Because if I become a Christian, are you going to tell me that homosexuality is wrong and that abortion should be wrong? See, they want to have, see, they have conditions that Jesus has to say, oh yeah, we believe all these things. Some people say, if I become a Christian, would I have to do that? You mean, I'd have to go to church? You guys go more than once a week, don't you? You mean, I'd have to do this, I'd have to, I'd have to be nice to my spouse? On the other side of it, I've had people say this, hey, if I become a Christian, would I have to stop doing that? You mean I can't do all the stuff I normally do on weekends? And I can't keep living with my girlfriend? See, they've got conditions. See, they want Jesus' sovereign power. Come on, show the miraculous stuff, the sovereign power, but they don't want to give Jesus sovereign place in their life. See, God, they want Jesus, change my situation, but don't change my sin. See, that's what modern people do too, isn't it? But like the leper, you this morning need to drop all your conditions. You need to say, Jesus, I'm not saying you got to do this for me. I'm saying if you're willing, if you're willing, have mercy on me. So why would this man do that? Why would he be willing to drop all of his conditions? Why would you be willing? You know why? Because here's what he found out about Jesus. He wasn't just a man with power. He was a man with passion. You know, Jesus did not have to heal the leper by touching him. 
We have seen, and all throughout Mark's gospel and all the gospels, Jesus can heal by his spoken word. He can just say it, and it's done. That's the authority he has. That's who he is. He's connected to God. We even found that in the centurion servants episode, that Jesus says, go home, because he's already healed. He can heal people from long distances. Far, never see the person and they're healed. That's how powerful he is. So does he have to touch this guy? No, but he does. Did you know in chapter 1, verse 31, when he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, it says, and he took her by the hand. Why? Why would you do that? Why does he get close like that? Because the Bible says, you know why he healed the leper? He was moved with pity. Other translation says he was moved. It's, it's about, see, our gut, see, it's in your gut, and it's lower for them. I mean, it's right down in the essence of core. See, Jesus down to the essence of who he is as a God-man. He loves them. He's moved by them. It's used also in 634 when it says all these people on the hillside, 5,000 plus, they didn't have any food, they didn't have anything to eat, and Jesus says he's moved with compassion on them. The Bible says in chapter 8 and verse 2 of Mark's gospel that feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, every time he sees crowds, every time he sees individuals, he's moved. And it doesn't matter how big the person or need is or how small it is. He's moved by it. See, that's what it means to have your interior and your exterior connected. He's moved by it. Are you moved by the brokenness of people around you? Jesus was. Can you walk into a store and only see the groceries on the shelves? Can you walk down a mile, talk about people watching, can you walk down a, gro a, a shopping mall and only see the stores and all the sales that are going on? Or can you see more than that? See, G Jesus was moved by, broken by people. See, his interior life of prayer also connected him with power, but it also connected him with passion. See, he was moved by people. He was loving the leper. And you know how he did it? He touched him. He touched him. He didn't just say, I will be clean. I sh he showed him, I will be clean. Now, interesting on the text, and with this I'll close. Jesus commands, which he rightfully needed to do, when someone's healed by leprosy, which was the first time ever, you have to follow the purification protocol. In order to get back into normal social life so you could go to worship at the temple, so you could go home and be with your family, so you could be a regular Joe and have everything normal, which he loved and was looking forward to, you could have a real life. You had to go to the temple. They had to inspect you because the health officers of the day were the priests. They would look you over and say, oh, you, you don't have it anymore. You're declared, and they would go through this process, and you would be ushered back into society, have a normal life again, because you were clean. Now, normally, if a clean person touches an unclean person and they become clean, that's one thing. But the clean person who touches an unclean person would also become unclean. But here's the thing. Jesus sent the leper to the priest, but he didn't go. He didn't go to the priest but he touched the leper. It made him unclean. According to ceremonial law, he should have gone, and he didn't. And you know why? Because here's what he wants you and I to know. I'm the source 
of all cleanliness. See, you used to have to go to the temple to be clean. Now you come to me. See, you come to me. I'm the source of purification. I'm the way. You want to be clean, not just of leprosy. You want to be clean of your sin. You want to be right with God. See, you come to me. All I have to do, I'll speak the word into your life. See, I can touch you. I can give you the gospel. I'll preach to you the real forgiveness of sins, and you can become clean. You don't need the temple. You don't need the sacrifices. See, my death and resurrection are going to take care of all of that for you. So here's what it means this morning. No matter who you are, famous or anonymous, we're all lepers. We're all lepers. We all have been separated from God and others because of our sin. And can I tell you this? Only Jesus can make you clean. There are a world of people, folks, outside these walls who need to be clean. They're desperate. You know what they need? They need someone from Faith Baptist Church who is willing to get close, touch them, get in the middle of their mess, have a relationship with them. Not just say God loves you, to show that God loves you. See, that's what evangelism is. That's what witness. See, that's the mission Jesus was on and prayed to stay focused on. The question is, is that the mission we're on? Is that the mission you're on? Jesus wants you and I to realize you were once a leper. Now go touch some other lepers who can be clean. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's wanting. But you see, listen, you won't have the power to do that and you won't have the passion to do that if your interior and exterior life like Jesus, they're not connected. So you won't have that burden. You won't have that move. You won't be compelled like that. You don't get that just being a good person. You get that because you're connected to God and you're connected every single day. See, Jesus is still here this morning and he's offering this, if you'll come to him, if you'll say to him, if you're willing, Lord, make me clean, he still will say, I am, I am willing, be clean. If you don't know him this morning, if you're not clean, if you've never been forgiven, if you've never been to his cross, if you never recognize that he died and rose again in payment for your sin to make you clean, See, he's the only one, not your church, not your righteousness, not your good works, not your money, not your sacraments, none of those things. See, he's the only source. But folks, that's not only true for the people who need the gospel this morning, but it's true for all of us. He's the only one. He's the only one that can give you the power and the passion to love and serve people like that. See, we all need to come, don't we? To give the gospel or to get the gospel. Either way, we need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the source of all cleanliness. Thank you for his example that he saw the need to be alone with you. Father, we get so busy, and busyness pushes out our wilderness. 
May we make, by your grace and power, that connection every single day. There are people that you want to use us to bring to the Savior. You want us to bring people to Jesus. You want to see people's lives transformed and forgiven. But Father, too often, because we're not with you, we don't see them, and nor do we have the power or the passion to touch them. Change that in us, please. Help us to see with new eyes. Help us to touch with new hands that they might see you in us. And for those who might be here this morning, still in their sin, still in their leprosy, we pray that they would recognize, as this leper did, that what they really need most of all is Jesus and his mercy. They would drop all the conditions, and they would come to you this morning and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, because I know what your answer will be, Jesus, and I thank you, for it's in your precious name I ask it. Amen.